This is Bruce and Diane Hallowell. For those of you who don't know them, give them a nice uh, wow. Bruce and Diane have uh, applied for membership in our church. Uh, after a lot of uh, very passionate intercession, we finally gave in and decided to accept them. <laughs> That's not true. We've been waiting for this day for a long time. Uh, Bruce, for those of you who don't know, was, uh, has been a believer for a long time. <clears throat> and um, just last year, last year? Yeah. Last November, um, decided he would finally obey the Lord Jesus by being baptised as a believer. He's baptised in a Presbyterian church and had theological reasons why he thought that was acceptable. And I know there are others here this morning that you believe the same error. Um, <laughs> money half kidding, really. Um, <clears throat> and so, anyway, under personal conviction, Bruce came to that thing, and Diane's been praying for that, nagging about that for years. <laughs> And so, that was, and so it's my delight to welcome you both into, officially, into being members of our church. Thank you. Of course, uh, Bruce and Diane have been acting like members. They've been belonged to this body and they've been faithful in attendance. Bruce heads up our blokes business, supported very ably by Diane, and uh, involved in a life group, as well as assisting in many other things in the life of the church, be it on cer certain committees or working beers or whatever. So they... I've already been demonstrating that, and so I'd like to present to you your lovely certificates. Ladies first. Put that in a place of pride. Show all your Presbyterian friends. <coughs> you haven't got any now. And there is a book for you both to read. I'll give it to you first, because if I give it to Bruce, then he'll mark it, and you won't be able to understand it, and you know, all these scribbles through it and stuff. Um, and before I pray for these guys, I just want to make this announcement. There's a red Hyundai 246GXW. Don't move yet. Your lights are on, but I'm going to ask everybody to bow their head and close their eyes, and you can sneak out <laughs> and turn your lights off. Okay? Red Hyundai, you know who you are. Let's pray for Bruce and Diane. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you that you're a God who is at work. We thank you for this couple. Bruce and Diane, being in our church, Lord, now for many years. We thank you for their servant-heartedness, their love for you. We thank you for this step of commitment too, to publicly commit themselves to being part of the decision-making of our church body here. We thank you for their gifts and the talents that you've resourced them with, and we pray, Lord, you'd continue to use them in the life of our body for the growth of your kingdom and for the glory of Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you both. Did that person sneak out just then? If you've got a Bible, you might want to turn with me to the book of Romans. <clears throat> on Tuesdays and on Fridays, our pastors get together. On Tuesdays, it's just the pastors, the four of us. Oh, I need to say also, uh, just in terms of uh, uh, an indication of support, uh, that both Pastor David Daniels and Pastor David Butterfield this morning are wearing a blue shirt. <laughs> David Butterfield has his covered up. So it's an attempt, but it's not a real... Serious commitment. Anyway, I, enough of that nonsense. Romans, oh, the pastors meet on Tuesdays and on, on Fridays, and on Fridays we meet with our two students, Brendan and Joshua, and we process and talk about uh, different issues. <clears throat> um, at the pastors' meeting on a Tuesday, a couple of weeks ago, the comment was made, we've been talking about planning our preaching for next 
semester and the end of the year, and particularly when I'm away on long service leave, working all that out. And a comment was shared from one of the pastors that uh, I don't preach from the New Testament or I don't preach on the Apostle Paul. <laughs> so after I got up off the floor, <laughs> they must be a new person. If, if you're here in this congregation, I don't know what to finish that with. Um, so I then just rattled off the books. <laughs> oh, well, I actually don't mind that. That suits me, but it won't suit you. You won't see. Do you see how the lights have gone blue? <laughs> Did Wazza do that? He was going to do that. He was also going to flash Marone all through the sermon, I think. Um, so I went through the books. I said, well, I've done the 10, 11 years I've been here. I've done all the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We've done Acts. I don't think I've done Romans. I've done parts of Romans. I must have done Romans 12 about three or four times, and we're going to be, be touching back into it again today. Done 1 Corinthians, haven't done 2 Corinthians, but then every other book in the New Testament we have preached through, except Revelation. We've done parts of Revelation. In my previous church, I did the book of Revelation. I did it in 11 weeks, chapter 1 in the morning, chapter 2 at night, chapter 3 in the morning, chapter 4 at night. You had to come morning and night, and there were 22 tapes. If you want to know what I think about the book of Revelation, order them from Ingleburn Baptist Church. <laughs> oh, one day, someday, we'll come back and... Who would like us to do the book of Revelation? Six people, yes. That's what you guys could do when I'm away. We'll get to it. Anyway, so we find ourselves this morning in the letter from Paul, the Apostle, from the book of Romans that I never preach from. Yeah, correct. <clears throat> so let me read you the passage that we're going to sort of focus around this morning and then I think I'll pray again and ask God to forgive me for all of my banter and refocus to be more serious. <clears throat> Romans 15 verse 1. Uh, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please his neighbour for his good, to build him up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those, uh, of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us or to instruct us, so that through the endurance and encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, to confirm the promises made to the patriarchs, so that the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy. Let's pray. Father, we do want to thank you for your word, for all of your word. We would literally be in the dark without it. But you're the one who commanded light to shine and you have inspired the light of your word. We thank you for those who have painstakingly translated it into our heart language. We thank you for the multiple choices we have, all rendering your message to humankind. This morning, Heavenly Father, as we look at this portion of your communication to us. We pray for the assistance of your Holy Spirit, that he might penetrate our hearts and minds and that we might be um, stimulated, corrected, challenged, encouraged, that we might be lifted up in hope, that we might follow Jesus closely 
together. And again, Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I've entitled this message this morning, Attitudes and Relationships, Living to Love Others. Living to Love Others. We have commenced a series on connecting. It's been, we've been in it now for, the, I think this is the eighth or ninth week. And we spoke about, like Terry shared with us, about connecting with God, particularly in prayer and corporate prayer. And to that end, there's a note in the bulletin about a corporate prayer day coming up July 19th. You'll get more details about that. So have a read of that and mark that date in your calendar. Come when you can, leave when you must sort of day. But it'll be an exciting opportunity for us as church to pray together. Connect with God in prayer. Connect with one another, particularly in life groups, not only, but particularly in small groups. And with a view to connecting with outsiders, building relationships and having gospel conversations that people who don't know Jesus might hear, believe and commit to him. That's the series we've been focusing on and this morning we've come to focus upon that middle part of that of certainly connecting with God but connecting with one another and this passage tells us that we are to welcome, that we are to accept one another and others who come amongst us but particularly believers accepting believers and I want to illustrate that by what has been marked as the world's funniest religious joke. I don't know how you award these things and you've probably heard this one. Did you hear about the man who was walking across the bridge? When he's walking across the bridge, there's another man standing on the railing of the bridge who was about to jump. And the man, believer, goes to him and says, um, what are you doing? Stop. And he says, why should I? He says, because there's so much to live for. Like what? He says, well, are you religious? He says, yes. He says, are you a Christian or are you some other sort of religion? He says, I'm a Christian. Me too. Are you Catholic or Protestant? I'm Protestant. Me too. Are you Episcopalian or Baptist? He said, I should have said Presbyterian, shouldn't I? <laughs> Whatever. Um, I'm Baptist. Me too, the guy walking across the bridge says. He says, wow, are you General Baptist or Reformed Baptist? He says, I'm Reformed Baptist. Me too. That's wonderful. We have so much in common. Are you Reformed Baptist, Reformation, 1681? Are you Reformed Baptist of Church of God, uh, 1915? He says, I'm Reformed Baptist Church of God, 1915. And he pushes him and says, die, heretic. <laughs> Put up your hand if you've heard that sort of joke before. Yeah, nobody. No, I don't believe you. There's all different sorts of variations on it. I got that off a blog by a guy called the name James Emery White, whose blog I would certainly commend to you. He's a great thinker and a solid evangelical believer. He says... He titles that the, the world's funniest joke. He says, well, it might be funny, but it's no laughing matter. He then writes this very aptly. Um, he says, like many jokes, um, it, like many jokes, it's painfully close to the truth. The lack of unity amongst mere Christianity believers, um, much less the lack of civility between disagreeing Christians, particularly that which is being expressed on the internet, is one of the great public disasters of our day. Did that make sense? The way Christians are talking about other Christians on the internet and attacking them. Now, we all have different opinions, we all have different heroes, and Rick Warren would be one of my heroes, whom I greatly respect. Uh, I don't like, obviously, agree with everything he does. I don't think I agree with anybody on everything the only person i agree with on everything is me 
<laughs> and sometimes I'm not sure about that either. Thanks, Louis. This should be an interactive sermon. Where are those helpers? <laughs> wow. Uh-oh. We should do then. Um, so Rick Warren, just Google Rick Warren. And you will read Christians writing terrible things about him. Absolutely disgusting. And a lot of it is false. Now this will get painfully close to the edge for some. But twice here in this church, I've had a visitor who has come for a special reason to the church, family connections. And at the end of each service, he's made a beeline for me and I would expect for others, but he's always... Anyway, I've had two conversations with him and each time it's about Rick Warren. And he's blaming Rick Warren for the state of the church. So I ask him to tell me why and, and so on. But the attitude is one which is highly critical, judgmental, condemning. And James Emery White is saying that attitude between Christians is sadly too common. And that's not what this passage says and it's not the will of the Lord Jesus. That's why this passage is important for us. It's about attitudes and relationships, about living to love others. Now, before we jump into this passage, and this morning is going to be relatively simple, I think, um, and I hope it's not too conceptual, but I need to make this statement, that the chapter divisions in the Bible are not part of the verse... Chapter and verse divisions in the Bible are not part of the original text. They came into the Bible centuries later, nearly over a millennium later. For instance, the chapter divisions in the Bible came in the year 1205 by a guy called Stephen Langton. So before that, there were no chapter divisions in the Scriptures. It was put in as a, uh, a helpful guide that we could find references and in terms of aiding commentaries and communicating and preaching. The New Testament verses were added much later, 1551 by a guy called Robert Stephanus. You don't need to know that, just to know that the chapter and verse divisions just came later. Charles Haddon Spurgeon one day in a sermon preaching about where the Bible is divided once said that Robert Stephanus must have divided the verses in a, in a rowboat when he was rowing from across the English Channel and it must have been a storm because he always gets it nearly in the wrong spot. <laughs> Spurgeon's comment. All of that to say, chapter 15 is the wrong spot. To divide the chapter. What Paul has been saying, in fact, from chapter 14, verse 1, continues all the way down to chapter 15, at least to verse 7, and probably to verse 13. And that's certainly how my NIV divides it. It's called the weak and the strong as they're heading, and that continues from 14.1 all the way down to 15.3. Does that make sense? And so the context of that passage that I read to you this morning is it's almost the end to the argument that he's been going through all the way through chapter 14. Chapter 14, verse 1 says, Accept those whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. Accept those who have a weak faith. What's a weak faith? Well, as you study the Scriptures, it's not a weak faith that's guided by... Um, I have little faith and I have little trust in the Lord Jesus. That's not what he means by weak faith. What he means by weak faith are the people who have become believers in the Lord Jesus, but they're guided by rules and regulations. And in the examples he gives in chapter 14, it's about a weak believer thinks that we shouldn't eat meat. We should only eat vegetables. That a weak believer thinks 
I have to keep the Sabbath, that one day is very holy to God, whereas a strong believer thinks all days are holy to God. Or in chapter 14, I think verse in the 20s, 21, somewhere around there, he talks about, uh, so following Jesus is not a matter of eating or drinking, not eating food or drinking wine or something else. That's not what it's about. A weak believer has these rules and regulations that limit them. But as you grow in maturity in Christ, you come to experience the freedom that Jesus gives you. A New Testament example, another example of that is that controversial one about can you eat meat which has been offered to idols? had a conversation with a guy at the men's breakfast yesterday and then we got on to talking about halal, halal meat and how do you actually get to use the title and things like that and we, I said, gee, that was around in the New Testament, can I or can't I, should I or shouldn't I? You know, should we buy halal meat? Because if we buy halal meat that's been prepared by the Islamic faith and slaughtered a certain way and this person informed me, they said, you know that you can't call it halal meat unless you make some sort of financial contribution to the Islamic faith. Did you know that? Hmm. I didn't know that. And I said, well, if I'm buying halal meat, I guess I'm making a contribution to the Islamic faith. Now, some people will go, <gasps> line in the sand. I will never from this point buy halal meat because I don't want to be contributing to the spiritual opposition. Well, that's your decision. If you see another Christian buying halal meat, what should you do? Well, you should take them aside, you should belt them, <laughs> you should correct them, you should go on the internet, on Facebook, you should spread all sorts of rumours about them, how they're being so disobedient. Nah, you shouldn't do any of that. By all means, you should have a conversation. You've got your convictions, that's what chapter 14 says. Well, then how do you deal with it? Chapter 14 and that passage in chapter 15, the first part of it, is dealing about relationships in the body between believers. And this is only one dimension of the relationships that the Apostle Paul is looking at and he's asking believers to be accepting and welcoming. He's not talking about and he does not address the issue of, well, what if there is sin in the other person's life? What if there is error or heresy? They believe wrong things about important things. That we, are we to be welcoming and accepting? Well, yes, but you're to have a conversation about that. And if there is deliberate, intentional sin, then there, is a, there needs to be repentance and there needs to be, you know, the discipline process. Best way I can illustrate that, to move on quickly. Anybody is welcome to come to church. Everybody is welcome. That's what I believe. And I think that's the New Testament emphasis. That means broken people, sinful people, criminals, the dysfunctional, everybody's welcome. But nobody, nobody is allowed to go around hurting and harming somebody else. It's like a person can come to church and imagine they carry a softball bat with them. The softball bat can represent their dysfunction, their issues, whatever is going on for them. The person can come, but they're not allowed to come and swing the softball bat around and hit people with it. If that was happening, what would you say? What would you say? You can't come to our church anymore. No, wouldn't say that. Well, what would you say? 
you're more than welcome to come, but put the softball bat down. If you want to keep swinging the softball bat, then you have to leave. Your choice. We don't want you to leave, but you can't hurt other people. We're here to help each other and protect each other, and we do it together. So your choice. That's how we should deal with it. Not withdraw from them. By all means, we should be protecting ourselves, but we ought not to withdraw from them and have nothing to do with their bat-swinging stuff. We need to confront it lovingly. Shouldn't we? The answer you're struggling with is yes. So this is a passage which is talking about not that dimension of our relationship, but this dimension of our relationship, that a believer comes amongst us. How are we to treat them? What is our attitude towards them to be? Well, here are 12 points, and I'm not preaching them, I'm just reading through them, so you can follow the argument, and it's in chapter 14 and 15. I've just put them in a sequence. Here we go. Number one, and it's not that I don't want you to remember these 12 things. I certainly want you to analyse them. Um, and mark them. If this is why you should bring a pen. If you've got a pen, then you can write these down and check this out. Firstly, number one, this passage says that we belong to God through Jesus, chapter 14, verse 8. He actually says that. Um, none of us lives to himself. We live or die to the Lord. We belong to the Lord. So, number one, believers belong to Jesus. He has accepted us, chapter 14, verse 3. Point two, um, in verse 4 of chapter 14, we are therefore his servants. Not one another's servants, we're his servants. So when you look at another believer, you're seeing a fellow servant of the Lord Jesus. We certainly do serve one another, but we are not servants of one another, we are servants of him. Understand the distinction? We serve one another to please him. We act in obedience to him. Number three, so our faith in the Lord Jesus brings us into his household with other servants. And we serve him together. There will be differences of maturity, experience and of opinions. Chapter 14, verse 1, chapter 15, verse 1, amongst the servants. Some will be young, some will be old. Some will be mature, some will be immature. Some will be babes in Christ, some will be growing in Christ. Some will have struggles that you don't have. There are differences amongst us. Number five. We are to see other believers as God's servants and we are to understand that they are accountable to him, not us. Chapter 14, verse 10. They are accountable to him. They are his servants. So if they're doing something that we think is not appropriate, it may not necessarily be our role to point that out to them. If it's in the Bible and it's a sin, then it is our role. But if it's a non-essential, if it's an opinion thing, well, that's between them and God. You see another Christian, pick an example. You see another Christian smoking. By all means, you can have a conversation with them, but it's not within your right to tell them how to behave or what to do. Not your servant, it's his servant. It's his job to tell him, them, his servants, how he wants them to behave. So now chapter 14, verse 5 and verse 22, we are to develop our own convictions on non-essentials and we are to live consistently with them. We cannot compromise on the essentials of the faith, but we can and we must on the non-essentials of the faith. What are the essentials of the faith? Well, to be a believer, to be God's servant... 
then you've got to have a similar lined up on God, Bible, Jesus. Believe in the Trinity. If you don't accept the triune nature of God, then not a believer. If you don't accept that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is God the Son, that he died and rose again, you're not in yet. You're not a believer. You're on the way, but you're not there yet. The Bible is the Word of God. It's inspired and it has authority for us. And that Jesus is the only way to God. They're the essentials. On that, we cannot compromise. We have to stand and be prepared to die for those truths. But everything else... We should have our own convictions. That would include baptism. You should have your own convictions about what the Bible says. And there will be times when we can and we must be prepared to compromise. So now I'll put my neck on the line. Our church did a very wise thing many, many, many years ago, which still has influenced today. I don't think we do it well. But I think it's well that we do it. That is, we have associate membership. We say, to be a part of our church, you need to believe this. One, two, three, four. And I think there are seven things, whatever. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. You've got to believe those things. Everything else is between you and God. And baptism is not one of the seven things. Baptism comes in somewhere else in our constitution that this is how we will behave as a church. This is, to be a member of our church, you need to be baptised as a believer, Bruce and Diane this morning. But you could be a person like Bruce was, who, because of your denominational background, because of your history, that you were baptised as an infant by believing parents in a different denomination. Um, and that's a conviction that you hold, and that's between you and God. You are his servant. That doesn't stop us as a church accepting you, and you can come into... You can even come into leadership in our church. The only thing you can't do constitutionally is be a pastor or an elder. You can be anything else and everything else. Now, right or wrong, that's helpful. Because that's trying to implement this sort of principle that there are differences of opinion amongst Christians of how does this work out and how do you hold a body together where there are such differences? Well, our church, I think, is heading in the right direction in doing that sort of thing. So let me move on. We are to develop our own convictions on non-essentials um, and we are to live consistent with them as best we understand them, but we are also likewise prepared to compromise on non-essentials. This will require us, number seven, sometimes limiting our, be our behaviour before others so that we don't cause them to be... A, we are not a stumbling block to them, chapter 14, 13, that we don't upset them, 14, 15, and that we don't destroy their faith, 14, 20. Number eight, this will also require us where we are limiting our behaviour, restricting what we think personally because we don't want to hurt the other brother or sister. It will lead to a conversation. Chapter 14, verse 16, don't let what you think is good, is acceptable, be criticised as evil. And it's you respond to that. There's teaching. It's why do you think that? Why do you think that it's okay for a Christian to smoke or not smoke? Why do you think that? Tell me why. This is what I think and this is why I think it. This is what the Bible says. And You have a conversation. You instruct one another. And you don't allow attacking on differences of opinion but held by other brothers and sisters, but rather respect them. Chapter 14, verse 22 says that we are to keep our convictions between us and God. Number nine. All of this whilst being very patient with those 
who are different to us. Number 10, therefore, this is Paul's argument, chapter 14 and 15, we are to welcome one another, we are to build one another up, just as Jesus did, chapter 15, verse 3, and we are to pray for one another, 15, verse 5. All of that to say this, and there's a 12th point to come, which is the main point for this morning. I've done this in weddings often, and probably done it in church a few times, and so I find it very helpful. If you have like a triangle, you have God at the top, you have yourself at one of the apexes, and you have another person or other believers or whatever at the other apex. The closer, and there's like there's a bar linking you, the closer you get to God, then the closer you get to one another. Does that make sense? The further you are from one another, the further you are from God. Your relationship and closeness to God is linked with your closeness and fellowship with one another. They are inseparable. That means, the Bible says, I can't be close to God and not be close to my brother or sister. In fact, John, 1 John 4, last paragraph in 1 John 4 says, that if a person says, I love God, I'm close to God, I'm doing God's will but hates his brother, John says. He says, that person's a liar. They're deceived. They're not loving God. Because if you love God, you will love his people. You will love his family. It's inseparable. So therefore, number 12, and this is the whole point of all of this. Why are we to treat one another, uh, see each other as servants of the Lord Jesus, to be tolerant and patient on non-essentials and to be helping and to be gracious and respectful. The goal is to the glory of God. Chapter 15, verses 5 and 6. This is the point. Paul says, verse 6, so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another, then just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. That's what it's about. Our behaviour and attitudes to one another is to reflect and to glorify Him. When the world looks on us, and sees us accepting and being tolerant of the strange and the weird and the unacceptable, they will be forced to ask the question, how come? Because God has changed our hearts. Glory to him. But when the world sees us fighting and criticising and attacking each other and saying terrible things on the internet about one another, the world doesn't ask the question. And God doesn't get the glory. Because rather, you behave just like us, you're no different. That's why the Apostle Paul is at pains to say this is our goal, is to glorify and to honour him. Well, how do we get there? How do we achieve that goal? How do we become those sorts of people where we deny ourselves, where we sacrifice our legitimate freedoms in order to please and to accept and to welcome other people? How do we, with one voice, glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus? Well, in chapter 15, he gives us three simple ways. Verse 3, verse 4, and verse 5. In verse 3... We, as the servants of God, are to look to the Lord Jesus. He is our example and he is our Lord. For even Christ did not please himself. But as it is written, the insults of those who insulted you have fallen on me. That's the first step. Being in Christ and considering Christ. Like Josh taught us last Sunday morning, Colossians chapter 3, of putting on Christ, his character and his attitudes. 
especially his sin-bearing, self-denying work on the cross. He denied himself to reach out to others. He didn't come to please himself, so nor are we to please ourselves. He didn't come to gratify himself, he came to glorify his Father. He didn't regard his divine status, his theology or anything else as something that he should hold to himself, but rather... um, He shared, he denied himself on many things. He didn't assert his will, but he allowed his father to work things out. He identified and welcomed the weak in faith, and for that he was certainly accused and looked down upon by those who were so-called strong in the faith. He touched lepers, he ate with sinners, he visited tax collectors, he washed the feet of Peter and Judas. He didn't require people, clean up your act and then I'll embrace you. He's like the father and the prodigal son who runs and who embraces, who accepts and welcomes. And then the change comes. He accepts and embraces and welcomes regardless of the smell and of the rags that the son is wearing. He doesn't leave him that way. The Lord then says, give him new shoes, new clothes, put a ring on his finger. That's how it works. He accepts. He wants us to accept. He wants us to embrace. He wants us to include. And he will introduce changes that are necessary in a person's life. The Apostle Paul says to us, consider the example of the Lord Jesus. Study his life. Do to one another what Jesus did to you. He accepted you. Accept one another. Second way, he says in verse 4, he refers to the Scriptures. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, to instruct us, so that through the endurance and encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. Use the Scriptures. Study the Scriptures. They were written for our instructions. And through the Scriptures we are given this bigger perspective of what God is doing in the world and it gives us hope. This life is not all there is. There is another life. There is an eternal life coming. Hebrews 12.2 says, The Lord Jesus, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. For the joy that was set before him, that's heaven, with us. Because of that, he endured this trials on earth. That's our perspective that we are to have. Colossians 1, 4 and 5 says, um, We have heard about your love for all of the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Hope generates this sort of response down here. Consider the example of Jesus, verse 3. Study the scriptures, verse 4. And number 5, pray. Verse 5, pray. The Apostle Paul turns, he's not talking to them now. He says, may the God who gives grace, uh, endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus. He prays. So that's what we're to do. Pray for God to give us a, a spirit of harmony, of love and acceptance. Allow God to work in us that we can work out in our relationships. We need God to open our eyes to the example of Jesus. We need God to incline our hearts to his scriptures. We need God to give us encouragement, endurance and hope. We need to connect with God in prayer so that we can connect with one another in order that we can be a dynamic light shining in this community to connect with others who don't know him yet. Make sense? I think so. We are to welcome and accept one another, accepting, taking one another's ideas seriously, accepting people when they talk about their vulnerabilities, 
allowing people to express differences. They can even express heresy and we can discuss it intelligently with us. We can allow people to question and to raise doubts without being rejected. There's a guy who's on the edge of our church now. Um, he was part of our church. He still is on the edge. He, anyway, he's on a particular journey. And part of his journey, he came to me years ago now, and he came and said, can I ask you a question? And he did, and I answered it. <clears throat> and he went away, and then he turned around and he came back and said, can I ask another one? I said, sure. And this guy asks the hardest questions I've ever been asked. He's very bright. He's much brighter than I am. And he asks penetrating, difficult questions. And I'm struggling to answer his questions, you know, and I'll say, well, I, I don't know, but I'll try and find out, and yada, yada, yada. At the end of about a 20-minute conversation, he says to me, can I just say thanks? Now, I'm not doing this to blow my own trumpet. I'm trying to model something for you. He says, can I just say to you thanks? You are the first pastor that I have ever spoken to who hasn't dismissed me as a heretic, who has allowed me to ask the very difficult questions where he struggles with some issues of the Bible, struggles with creation, struggles with a few other things that we don't. But I didn't reject him. That's what we are to do. We are to allow people to be in a safe place. We are to receive and welcome all. So, conclusion. Um, what's our last song? Because time's gone. Oh, we'll sing that one. Um, on a scale of 1 to 10, where 1 is pretty bad and 10 is, I'm, I'm really, really good at this, where would you rate yourself on accepting and welcoming one another? Which end are you at? In the middle? Have you got a strategy of how you can move to the, to the right, towards 10, of getting better at this? Well, here's the strategy. Study the life of the Lord Jesus. Study the word of God and pray. That's how the Apostle Paul instructs us. And the last thing I want to say is this before I pray and then Spence and the team will come. After church this morning, let me encourage you to ask one another three questions. Depending on the answers, I guess. Here are the three questions. Ask one another. Are you in a life group? Are you in a group, a small group? Are you in a Bible study group? Whatever you want to call it. Are you in a small group with other believers whom you're travelling with and doing life with? Second question. If they say no, particularly, are you going to? Are you thinking about it? Are you going to join a small group? So, no, not in a small group. You're going to? No, not going to join a group either. Question three. Well, then how do you intend to survive or thrive as a believer? What's your strategy? What's your plan? Because you won't do it on your own. You won't do it simply by attending a church this size. You need to be in relationships with people where you can hold each other accountable, where you can encourage and support, where you can be honest, where you can reflect all the one another's of the New Testament. Are you in a small group? Are you going to get in a small group? And if not, how are you going to survive or thrive as a Christian if you're not? I'm going to pray. Spence is going to come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this teaching of your word that you require us to be like your son, to be welcoming, to be accepting, to be people of convictions and strong on the essentials and to be soft and loving 
on the non-essentials. Lord, help us as a church to be both, clear in what we believe and loving to all who come. And may people who struggle find a spiritual home here amongst us. We pray, Lord Jesus, this in your name. Amen.